intuition, women's intuition is real, but often intuition is better served if we also can nail that down with some solid concrete information. And so today we're going to talk about the major hormone test I believe every woman needs to have. And especially if you're going down the road and potentially thinking about hormone replacement, or you're not sure if you have adrenal problems, or maybe you're pretty sure you've got some thyroid issues and you haven't really been getting anywhere with the practitioner you're working with. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. So today I'm going to give you a rundown. We talk a lot about testing on this podcast and specifically, you know, the different areas of testing around hormones and whether you're in the transition to menopause or you're through that transition, but you're still trying to figure out what's going on. I want to give you the top tests you need to have done when we're looking at our hormones and exactly what you want to look for when you're working with your practitioner. Because here's the thing. It's impossible really to make good decisions if you don't have data. So think of it this way. If I am driving somewhere, I need directions. I can't just get in my car and say I'm going to go to the spa and just start driving and expect my, you know, my car to get me there without directions. Take a left, take a right, go past the, ha- the house with the gigantic tree in front, however you do to your directions. So your lab look is the same way. And if you're not getting adequate information about what you need to know to make critical decisions about your health, that leaves you uninformed, i.e. driving to a location without a map. So we're going to talk about the top tests you need to get as a woman and where and what you can do about that. Wow. So today I'm so excited to talk about the subject. I talk a lot about testing, obviously, because I'm a test don't guess kind of scientist and nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner. And I have just seen that over the years, when you try and wing it and sort of go intuitively or just go on very sparse data, you'll make changes, right? You'll make things happen in a lot of ways. But for most of us, we went there. We want to get there faster. We want to get there in a more expedited and specific way, where we're not. We don't feel like we're meandering around to try and get to the answers. And, you know, I believe massively in intuition. What I can say from the more than 60,000 women that have taken my online hormone quiz and the thousands of women we've helped in our clinic and across the the United States, even the world, that uh, intuition, women's intuition is real. But often intuition is better served if we also can nail that down with some solid concrete information. And so... Today, we're going to talk about the major hormone test I believe every woman needs to have. And especially if you're going down the road and potentially thinking about hormone replacement, or you're not sure if you have adrenal problems, or maybe you're pretty sure you've got some thyroid issues, 
and you haven't really been getting anywhere with the practitioner you're working with. Again, I don't prescribe. So the beauty of this conversation is that I can really talk about it from a scientific standpoint. I'm not prescribing medications in the clinic because I don't do that. I'm a nutrition professional. I have clinicians who do that work with me. But the other thing is, is I like to just give the information that's solid in the research. And sometimes that even requires me to rethink and change my opinion on things. So sometimes people will hear me say things that they're like, oh my gosh, you know, three years ago, you said something different. I said, well, yeah, in light of new research, I had to rethink the paradigm in which I was sitting. And maybe we'll have conversations about that. So if you guys want me to talk about the things I've had to radically change my opinion on in the last three years, let me know. Because there are several things that are probably very controversial that I've had to like lay down my dogma, lay down my religion about it, and go look at the literature and start rethinking what I thought because the data don't really support it. And so... This is one of those things that I feel like we have to be very clear when we're talking about hormones, what we're looking at. Okay, so the first test I think all women need to have, just as a baseline, because again, if you listen to my intro, 60,000 women have taken a quiz online, a hormone type quiz that tells you sort of how your hormones are imbalanced and out of balance. You know, think of it as sort of a teeter totter, or even on each side, or, or are some of your hormone systems out of balance? Because the truth is, if you're perimenopausal and menopausal, I hate to break it to you, the sex hormones are jacked up. That's the scientific term. They are truly out of whack because in that time period anyway. So we have to sort of put that one to bed and we know that that's happening, but I'm going to talk about those sex hormones. However, we have the stress hormone system. We have the, uh, in the adrenals. We also have the metabolic hormones, things like insulin and what your glucose is doing and, and those things that we could look at. And then we've also got the thyroid, right? And most women feel like there's things going on here and they can't get answers from conventional medicine because the cookbook says you only need, you know, basically the destination from where you're starting and where you're going to and maybe one street sign, right? So think of it that way. So I'm going to start with thyroid because I would say out of everything I ever get asked in clinic and online, I have so many women that are like, oh, if I just find out that my thyroid's messed up. I'm sure that's what it is. And I get on medication, life will be good. And I would say, you know, some people, yes, that is improved. But if you've listened to my podcast, there's usually more going on. But how do you know if your thyroid's messed up if you don't get it completely tested? So let's start with thyroid hormone. So we have TSH, right? Thyroid stimulating hormone and T4, thyroxine. Those are the two hormones that are most dominantly actually ran in conventional medicine. So if you can get your doctor to run one, they are often often going to run TSH first. So TSH is simply a pituitary hormone. So in the brain, we have the hypothalamus and the pituitary. Those are two different regions in the brain. Think of those as the conductor and the director of the show. So the director of the show is the hypothalamus. They're given, dire- they're given directions on how is it supposed to look and feel? And, you know, what kind of ambiance do I want? What experience do I want my customers to have? And then they tell, the hypothalamus says, hey, pituitary, this is my direction. Go. The pituitary is the conductor of the orchestra. And the orchestra are the different endocrine glands you have, pancreas and liver, your which are your metabolic hormone-producing, well, also the gut, hormone-producing tissues. And then you've also got your adrenals, which is the percussion. You've got your sex hormones, which or the wind section. So think of it that way. So the pituitary gives that instruction. TSH 
is solely a pituitary hormone. So it means does the conductor recognize that the that the thyroid, which is the brass section, is functioning properly or not? Right. So what if the what if the pituitary is somewhat distracted, i.e., the conductor is a little bit distracted? You could have situations where they're unaware that things aren't as they should be. So TSH has a reference range. And if you look at the Endocrine Society in the United States, it says it should be between 0.35 and 3.35. Now, I would say that most people we want to shoot between the one and two range, right? And I'll explain why I have that range compared to maybe other individuals. Now, you might see slight variations in that because this is this is a hormone that swings a little bit because it's based on how much saturation of the thyroid gland, which is in your neck, of the amount of T3, which is the active hormone. So it's going to fluctuate a little bit. So it's never going to be exactly the same every time. But I would say if we're in that one to two-ish range, we're probably pretty good, right? So that means that either the conductor knows something's going on or not. Now, if your if your doctor runs a T4, T4 flat out says, has the thyroid taken that directive from the conductor and cut up a bunch of firewood and put it on a rack on the front porch, right? So that is available active fuel. Not technically, but think of it that way. It's available, but it is not active. It's not creating a fire. It's not doing anything. It's not even in the fireplace. That T4 has to get out and get transported. So it gets transported and it becomes free. So free T4 would be the next step. That means that that firewood got off the front porch and is now being utilized in a taxi cab to get dropped off where it gets taken into the mitochondria cells, places like the liver, and it gets taken into there and iodine molecules removed and some other nutrients come in there that I'm not going to talk about today because we can get into the weeds. And it gets converted to T3. So T3 total will tell you how much of that conversion really happened. And then T3 has to get in a taxi cab and drive around and get dropped off out on the street corner to be free. So when we're looking at active thyroid hormone, the most important one is that free T3. That free T3 needs to be in a good range. And in most most labs, you're going to see that reference range between two and four. I want it to be, I would say in the functional medicine community, our general goal is somewhere about, from about 3.5 to about 4, right? We don't want it too high because that runs the risk for a lot of things. I know those of you that are exhausted, I was in this camp when I was exhausted years and years ago. I didn't care if they could get it high. I just wanted more energy. But what you need to understand metabolically is that affects every single cell in your body. It can cause significant bone loss. It can cause other problems. So super fast is not good, even though it sounds awesome because you think, hey, it might speed up weight loss. May not. Even getting thyroid you know, optimized may not always drive that. If you listen to my podcast, we've talked a lot about that. And there's lots of episodes. I would say it's a topic of probably 60% of my episodes about what's really going on with those hormones and why you might want to rethink that. So, so, okay, so we've got free T3. So if your doctor isn't running free T3, you don't really know. Did you get to the spa, right? That's where we want to go. We got to go to the spa. So we don't know that. So without that number, you have no idea if your thyroid's functioning properly. Now, most of the medications we give are T4 related. So you could even be on medication and it's not effectively helping you because that conversion is nutrient dependent and stress dependent and a bunch of other things. I'm not going to go in that today, but the T3 you must have. And then we want thyroid peroxidase antibodies. We want antithyroglobulin antibodies because we want to know if your thyroid is not optimal or if it is still functioning, are you making antibodies to your thyroid? Because we want it to continue to function. 
Because if it gets damaged so much by the immune system, it will then not function. And I hate to break it to you, this can turn on at any time. So I don't care if you had one three years ago and it was great, it can turn on at any time. I've never had Hashimoto's, but I am hypothyroid. I've been on thyroid medication for close to 15, 16 years. I have tried over the years to remove it and it results in massive hair loss, which you, if you've heard my podcast, I have a lot of conversations about my hair loss and that's my litmus test for what's going on with my hormones. And so I begrudgingly had to admit that I needed thyroid support. But I never had Hashimoto's. But after I had said, you know, pandemic virus, I had antibodies to my thyroid for a good six months. You know, once I saw it, I immediately started taking actions to sort of calm my immune system, make it chill out, because I definitely didn't want to drive that. I've already got other autoimmune conditions. So this can change over time. So you need to see that. There's also a T3 uptake, which is a calculated uptake estimate of how much of your T3 that is total that is getting taken up in the cell. But to be honest, I 100% of the time, it's always in range, even when the other numbers aren't. And so to me, it's a, it's a throwaway tactic and a throwaway lab and absolutely not worth it. It's always in like the third, like 30 to 33, regardless of people's true thyroid function. So I don't find it to be valid and meaningful, right? So you want to have all of those. That gives you the total understanding of your thyroid. So I think everybody should have a thyroid test, a full panel once a year right? Once a year. That is absolutely necessary. Now, the next one is, should you have your adrenals tested? Yes. Is that the other hormone imbalance that pretty much universally happens in all cases is I have yet to meet a woman that says that, you know what, the last couple of decades have been so super easy and sweet. I haven't been stressed out at all. Now, I've met a few that have retired and life is beautiful and most of the stress has gone away because of that. And now life is a whole lot easier, right? And so maybe now it hasn't been stressful, but they're like, yeah, for the last you know three to four decades, it was pretty hellish. So your adrenals obviously respond to your stress response. And we have two major areas we're looking at. We're looking at fight or flight, which is norepinephrine and epinephrine made in the adrenals and in the brain. And then we also have cortisol. And cortisol is the secondary response to the stress response. It comes in and sort of buffers that fight or flight, right? And at first it's buffering. It actually helps. It helps you continue the stress response. It helps you manage things. It mobilizes insulin to the bloodstream and sugar from the liver, glycogen stores. So it's there to prepare you to fight or run, right? So your adrenals are really important. And if you have any other hormone problem, and you probably do, and there's things going on, I can pretty much bet thousands of dollars that there's an adrenal problem with it right? The adrenals can either be out of whack where they're low, let's say during the day and way too high in the evening at night and you have insomnia. They could be really high in the morning and you wake up kind of panicked and freaked out. But then in the afternoon, you can't keep your eyes open. You're passing out in your car while you're waiting at a stoplight. Many women get that second wind, like you're just dead all day. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't make it at all. And you have dinner and then like something magical happens at 730 and you're like on a buzz brain and you're up 10 o'clock at night, you know, scrolling Instagram and <laughs> Pinterest and you're getting projects done. And then you find yourself awake at 230 in the morning, that kind of second wind experience. Those are all parts of what's often out of balance in sort of HPA actus problems, right? So, and then you can be flatlined, right? You can be flatlined across the board where your adrenals have been so fried for so long that your body has regulated and said, you know what? You need a vacation. And I'm going to slow everything down, particularly cortisol, to help you sort of take a rest 
and rejuvenate. And that's when, when you take the foot off the gas. So this often happens. Let's say you have a stressful period. Like the last, if you listen to my podcast, my mom has had an extraordinary amount of healthcare problems in the last six months. So I've had my foot on the gas and the brake and I'm honking and I might be gesticulating out the window. <laughs> so if you want to put that into some perspective, that's probably what's going on. And so I've had the pedal down, but I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And as soon as I took my head, that was the first moment that I was not like in crisis management mode. The first two days I was in South Lake Tahoe, I was exhausted. Just was like, my body was like, you will sleep and you will lay here and be a vegetable. And that's pretty much what happened. So your body naturally wants to do that. And it's through the hypothalamic, right? Conductor, pituitary. And, and so the director, conductor that access to the adrenal glands, which is your percussion. They're the ones that set the stage. So the adrenals are the most primary. So what's happening there will affect all your other hormones. And I truly believe after all the research I've done, after all the clinical experience over two decades, that this is underlying a significant portion of why somebody who might be doing hormones may not be getting results. They're not losing weight. Their libido still stinks. Their hair is still falling out. Their food is still crappy. All, all that stuff. There's adrenals at work. It just is, right? So how do you know if your adrenals at work? So you get a blood test that's a single sample of your blood in that moment at that time. So all that gives you is one data point. Again, the adrenals move circadian rhythms. So they move and they and come up in the morning and wake you up. They peak mid-morning and then they start to trail off like a ski slope and then they level out at night very low, hopefully, and then you go to sleep. So a single point in time isn't very helpful. Now, if it's wildly low or wildly high, that could be meaningful, but it doesn't tell you what the experience is the rest of the day. Saliva testing, where you do several points throughout the day, can give you how much free cortisol, which is about 5% of total cortisol, is available for you to answer your stress. So if it's really, really high all day, you're up there like burning the candle at both ends. If it's low during the morning and high at night, then that might be a sign that you're having like nighttime issues because your rhythm is off. It's out of balance. If it's, you know, low in the afternoon and high during the morning, you might be waking up too early. It might be peaking too early. And then if you're flat all day long, that tells you your free cortisol is very low. That's what's responding to like that daily kind of impact, the small stressors. But urine is even better. Urine tells you the same diurnal rhythm, but it also tells you how you metabolize it, right? So metabolizing the hormone is where you see 95% of what you're producing. And there's two cortisol metabolites, THG, THF, that we look at, and then another one called alpha-THF. And it's the distribution between those three that tell us, are you producing way, way too much down an active pathway? Or are you producing way, way, way too much down one of the inactive pathways or the less than favorable pathways? So THF and THE cortisol are, when they're balanced, great. But when there's excess, when it's very, very, very high levels, what happens is the body starts to block that thyroid hormone at your receptors on your cells. So all of a sudden, somebody's broken the key off and all the ignition switches of every car that you are planning on turning on with your thyroid key, right? And it can also, also if it's very, very low, which often reflects that it was once crazy high, you can have some metabolic effects from that, which means that basically the situation of having really high cortisol for a really long time is still exacerbated by other hormones. So those other hormones are out of balance, but now you're not producing very much at all, right? So that rhythm is really important. 
So I often do cortisol through urine. I might do what they also call a CART, which is a cortisol awakening response where you add a saliva on top of it, which is a little more sensitive to kind of the overall capacity for that rise in cortisol and what's happening in that morning. I might throw that on top of it. And But I do prefer to get urine because I can see so much more data because that three isn't giving you a real understanding because all you see what's available is about 5% of what you make. Now, a lot of people come in and it looks normal there or it doesn't look wildly off. But when we get the urine, we see it's wildly off. So, So cortisol and adrenal function are really, really important. I don't necessarily always check norepinephrine and epinephrine. That is often just because the cortisol is a longer lasting, more impactful hormone test to really see what's long-term issue producing, right? You check it when we're looking at neurotransmitters, when we might be looking at like serotonin and dopamine and I'm you know feeling sad or anxious. I might look at it in that way, but I don't necessarily always include that in the adrenal function. So I think it's important to see the cortisol and cortisol metabolism. And the test we use is the dried urine test. It's a dried Dutch test. So Dutch DU TCH, so Dutch, because that test is has has plenty of published research, but it's also quite easy to do. It's it's samples over the course of the day, and we also get that metabolized level. And when you do it, if you do the full panel, you can also see your sex hormones, right? So you can get a little bit of both with one test. Something you can do at home, so you don't have to get a blood draw where thyroid hormones are a blood draw. So I think that's an important test. And if you've never had it done, I think it's important. Particularly if you look and you say, right now, my cortisol rhythm can't be good, right? You can just tell by this, what I explained that it sounds like you, or you're like the last two or three decades have been stressful. I probably need to check it out. And especially if you are weight loss resistant. So if you're doing all the right things, you know, maybe you've listened to some of my recommendations or you're doing, you know, whatever it might be, the diet du jour, right? We know that every time you get online, you're probably reading about another diet and trying to decide if that's the one for you. But if you tried these things and they aren't working, this is often one of the major underlying things. And I will tell you, cortisol and adrenal problems, I don't believe can be fixed without lifestyle. Believe me, I've tried because I was one of those people I'd rather sleep when I'm dead. And can I get more done during the day? And can I have a more exciting life when I was younger? So I was one of those people that I wanted to find a pill, a powder, biohack, a mechanism to bypass having to do the hard work. And all those things will help, but they're not going to get you where you want to go. You have to protect the sleep. You have to do meditation. You have to do those things that help re-regulate your immune system. And I did an entire podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about cortisol as your evolutionary advantage. Because if, you, if your stress response, if you learn how to harness it through lifestyle, cold therapy, hot therapy, you know, appropriate burst training exercise, all those things. You can actually re-harness it and re-engage it so it re-regulates. But you need to know where you are on that continuum so you can have that answer. So I love the Dutch test and it's a urine test. And I'm going to include some links in the in the show notes where you can go find these tests and order them if you can't get somebody to order them. You can order them on yourself. Insurance doesn't pay for it. I need to break it to you most of the time. It doesn't anyway. But you can order them on yourself and, and take a moment to figure out if that's something you want to do. Now, the next thing I like to look at is sex hormones, right? So we've talked about thyroid. We've talked about adrenal. I want to know the sex hormones. And there's two ways to really test these. Now, especially if you're perimenopausal, timing of this is really important. If you're wanting to figure out if somebody's in perimenopause and you just want a quick and dirty understanding, 
if you are, if you're in that first five to seven days, probably around day five to seven, after the first day of your period, if you're still cycling, if you check follicular stimulating hormone and it's off a little bit, right? A little bit high. That's usually a sign that your, your egg carton in your ovary has run out, right? So that's an early sign of perimenopause. That's a good, just kind of is something happening here, yes or no. Now, you can check your other, your hormones in blood, right? So if I'm cycling and I want to see what's going on with my hormones, I can check them in blood. If you're still cycling and you're wanting to understand why you get moody, bloated, crave sugar, and want to sleep all day the last 10 days before your cycle, you want to do that test during that time period, right? So if your symptoms are the worst during what we call the luteal phase of your cycle, you want to get it. It's cycle dependent. So you want to do it like day 19, 20, 21. If you're an average 28 day cycle, if it's a little bit shorter, you might want to do like, let's say 16, 17. If it's a little bit longer, you might do day 21, 22, 23. Some people use the period tracking apps to sort of help figure that out if your periods are abnormal. And the reason why we do it in that second half is because we want to understand when your symptoms are the worst, what's happening, what's peaking, right? Because we should see progesterone and your estrogens going together, right? Now, I'm going to give you a rundown of the tests that I like to look at when we do this. So my preference is always to see all the hormones. I want to see all the hormones. So I want to see not just your three estrogens, which are estradiol, estrone, and estriol. I want to see your progesterone, right? Which is your counterbalance to your estrogen. I also want to see testosterone, both total and free. Because again, free, remember hormones have taxi cabs. Doesn't do you much good if it's stuck in the cab in New York driving around on the street. It's got to get out and get on the street corner. You need free. I also like to see DHEA sulfate or otherwise known as DHEAS. Um, the reason why I want to see that is DHEA gets made into testosterone. It also gets made into other androgens. These are recovery hormones. And they have a lot to do with muscle building, motivation, recovery. If they're too high... They could cause hair loss, chin hair growth, all kinds of stuff that we don't want. If they're incredibly low, we're losing that recovery capacity and the muscle building capacity and the balance of testosterone and, and those androgens that can affect wide far reaching all the tissue, infect all the tissue. So I like to see testosterone free and total and DHEAS. Um, at the same time, I think it's also important to see dihydrotestosterone, DHT. So DHT is a derivative or a metabolite of testosterone. Some of us are more likely to make it. The enzyme is called 5-alpha reductase that does that. And in all women going through perimenopause and menopause, the production of DHT goes up. That's one of the mechanisms that happens during menopause. That DHT and the androgens are often at cause for hair loss, right? So androgen-related hair loss, that's the main driver. We also see menopausal-related hair loss, and it's the main driver. Even if your DHT is normal in the blood, you can have amplification of the, uh, the expression of it in your hair follicles at the scalp, which causes the hair to fall out and not grow back. I happen to have that activity, so I watch my DHT levels and everything else very, very closely because, again, my hair is my litmus test for everything. So if you're losing hair, particularly like on the crown and, and elsewhere, DHT is really important, and I check it every time. I also like to check the parathyroid hormone. It's often can be added to a sex hormone and or thyroid panel. And that hormone is made by the parathyroid, which are little pea-shaped glands that sit on top of your thyroid. 
and it controls your calcium. So it has a lot to do with osteoporosis and bone health. And can that change? Yes. There's not extremely often, but you can have little nodules that grow on those glands that can cause it to overproduce and cause your body to pull calcium out of the bones, which will cause bone loss and osteoporosis. And it can happen overnight and often does. And you have no real obvious symptoms of this, right? Unless your calcium levels come back elevated on a blood test, nobody's looking for it. And it's often, I have a specialty working with, with osteoporosis and, and looking at functional lab testing. And I see it all the time where a woman has been diagnosed with osteoporosis, has shown risks for it for quite a while. No one ever looked ever looked at the PTH. Now, a single measure of it being slightly high may not be meaningful, but I would immediately repeat it in like a month or two, make sure that it either has gone back down because obviously higher is not as good. So I would definitely do that and look at it again. So PTH is really important to me. I also like, if I can, I'd like to see things like pregnenolone, which is the precursor hormone to all these other hormones, has pretty big impact to the brain and cognitive skills as well. I think that's a really good one to get. Um, but at a minimum, that should be your absolute panel for sex hormone. I don't prefer blood because again, here's the big thing about blood, right? It's quick. It's often maybe a little bit cheaper. It's easier to do, but blood cannot show you on your sex hormones, particularly estrogen and the estrogens, the three of those and progesterone, how many get out of the cab. It shows you a total amount of those that are out of the cab on the corner and those that are in the cab. So it doesn't give you as good of an understanding of whether your hormones are biologically active, but it can be a quick and dirty way to do it, right? And especially if you're menopausal and you're not on hormone replacement and you kind of want to just get a baseline, that might be a good inexpensive way to sort of understand where they're at. Now, if you're on Medicare or if you don't have a really good health plan, chances are this lab may cost you money particularly if you're in menopause, because again, conventional medicine doesn't care about us and considers the reason for testing to see kind of where your baseline levels are unnecessary. So because their end result is you probably don't need hormones because you're a woman and it's okay that you go 30 years without hormones. So you may or may not get covered, but if you're doing other lab work, it's an easy way to throw it on so you could get it in blood work. Now, I'm going to go back to the Dutch test because I believe this is the best test and or a 24-hour urine a hormone metabolism test is the best test to tell you your free hormone levels. So that same Dutch test that can look at your urine and look at the adrenal glandular function can also look at your sex hormones because we pick up urinary estradiol, estrone, estriol, progesterone. We see DHT. We see a bunch more androgens. So we get a better picture of are you androgen dominant or struggling with that, particularly if you're experiencing some of those things that are like that, like chin hairs and if you're menopausal, dude, we get furry. Like we can chia pet kind of kind of peach fuzz furry and all of it's the androgens sort of shifting, right? So you can see that. And you can also see your cortisol, but you see those sex hormones and you see the free levels and you also see how you metabolize them. So you're able to understand, oh, this is me metabolizing these hormones and how they're getting used because estrogen listen to my podcast, I have a lot of conversations about, you know, those risky parts of estrogen and why do we see breast cancer increasing? Why is it increasing in women um, in risk when you're menopausal and have no hormones relative to perimenopausal when you, and especially when you're fully fertile and you're, you are actually protected during that time period. So some of it is looking at how we get rid of it. So we can see that also in the Dutch test. 
We can look at that separately without the adrenals or we can look at it together, right? So I love that test, right? I love that test. It's one of my favorite tests. Pretty much every woman, that's just part of the program. You're going to do it, right? We're going to see it. We're going to look at it. And especially this test needs to be done if you're doing hormone replacement. In my estimation, this is my clinical judgment. This is my scientific judgment after spending several years in the literature looking at hormone metabolism. That was my entire dissertation was looking at how that is managed, what happens where when it hits the gut, what is the microbiome doing it. It is my expertise. And I truly, truly believe that in order for us to feel empowered, we need to have all the data. And this test can be a way to look at if I am taking hormones, whatever hormones you're taking, how is my body packaging those after use to get rid of one? And because there are, there are pathways that are more favorable and there are pathways that are less favorable. And so at the end of the day, you want to know that. You want to absolutely know, are, am I getting my estrogen that is no longer good, so it's funky, and am I wrapping it up and getting it in the right trash can and getting it out to the trash? And is the trash man picking it up? And this test will show you that. So this test is really, I think, important if you're doing hormone replacement. And it is the test that we often do. Now, these tests I consider like baseline. Like all of our all of our clients that go into our programs, this is our baseline start. Now, we do a ton more other stuff, right? But those are the baseline when we look at your your different hormones. The other thing when I'm getting blood, I like to see the basics on like glucose, insulin, hemoglobin A1C that really tells you about your body's control of blood sugar and whether your blood sugar has been spiking, what's really happening. I also like looking at if I can get it, see peptide or pro-insulin, which is your precursor to insulin. There's also other hormones that I am toying with like glucagon. I'm trying to get in serum-free fatty acids, which are good estimations of how much is really being, how much of your body is actually producing things like glucose out of amino acids. It's a little hard because we don't have really good clinical data to say, okay, here's the ideal reference ranges that we want to see, but but we are missing this data in, in our diagnostic capacity. And so I'm starting to look at it and derive some understanding of it. So I like looking at those things too. And then even serum-free fatty acids or esterified fatty acids that give us a little bit of an understanding, fat metabolism. And then there can even be things like lactate levels. So we can go a little deeper. That's that's more of like a secondary thing. You're going to get a lot of fight from a doctor to, to run those. But if we could get those metabolic hormones while we're getting thyroid, that would be great. So if you're considering hormone replacement and you're like, gosh, I want to run these tests, but I'm probably going to have to pay for them out of pocket and I want to do it in the most financially advantageous way, right? And we often, this is part of our process with our clients, especially if we're getting ready to do hormones, is we'll run everything in blood. Knowing that when I get the sex hormones, you know, it's not as ideal as getting it in the dried urine test. But it gives the indication of where we're going, right? That starts to give us the map of where's your starting point. Then if you start treatment, it doesn't matter what treatment. Is it adrenal treatment? Is it thyroid treatment? Is it sex hormone treatment? Is it stuff to help the, help the control of insulin glucose? Then I like to retest. But when I do the sex hormones, I'm not going to do them in blood again. There's no reason to do that. I have to do the other one. I have to check that. So thyroid, we have to check in blood. But that would be the time to go, okay, instead of doing the Dutch test twice, maybe I'll wait until after I've been on hormones, everything feels good. I feel like I'm balanced. Now I want to know, am I at the right levels? Am I in that optimal range? And can I, can I do that? So that's when to do that test. 
So at the end of the day, I would do the Dutch test several months after starting hormone replacement and use that as an understanding of what I needed to manipulate or change, whether it's prescriptive or supplements added to help you get the estrogen out of the body. That starts to give you that answer. And then I generally will do a Dutch test once a year because, again, these things can change over time and I want to see it. If you've heard me talk about my own personal, you know, genetics, I don't get rid of estrogen well. So this is sort of my check and balance on a regular basis of like, how do I process this stuff and reduce risk for cancers and things like that? And even things like colon cancer, you know, some of those pathways are active. So that's how I like to look at it. If I'm trying to save money, because I'm aware of that. I'm a small business owner and, you know, small business owners don't have Cadillac health plans. So at the end of the day, 99% of what I do is out of pocket and, and, and I hate to say this, but the insurance companies are getting worse rather than better. They're narrowing down more and more and more. So basically you pay more every year for your premium, but you get less and less services. And this is one of those cases. So I'm going to include some links on this podcast on the show notes that if you want to get these labs. So in the United States, we can go on our own in most states. Now, there's a couple states like New York and and. Rhode Island, I believe there's several states that are twitchy and they won't let you order on your own. But in most of the states in the United States, you can order your own lab kits and get them done because it is your body, right? Nobody controls your body. It's your body. At least most of the time today, nobody controls your body. So you can order them yourself. You just won't get them covered by insurance, but then you can be educated health consumer. So I'll include some links in the show notes so you'll know how to get that information so you could order them yourself and then have an understanding of what's really happening, right? And so so to kind of sum up what I covered today so you you know kind of what your next action steps are, I outlined the major tests, I think, particularly hormonally that women need to take, a full thyroid panel, a full sex panel in blood work if you're doing that just because it's easy to do and not as costly as some of the other tests. I would also look at things like your your glucose and insulin control mechanisms to make sure that those are okay because those are your metabolic hormones, you know, and if you can get a C-peptide or a pro-insulin, that would be advantageous, but those are, think of those as icing on the cake. And then if you're really curious about your adrenal function and your sex hormones and where they're at and how much is free and what's really working, the dried urine Dutch test would be a great test to do and would be a great way to figure that out, right? And especially if you're thinking about doing hormone replacement, you could look at it in the beginning and find out kind of where you're at, but you definitely need to do it after you start treatment. Like that is standard for us because to me, that's just why take it if you don't know if you ever made it to the spa. Remember, we got in the car on this on this, on this this podcast to get to the spa. If I put stuff in and I'm driving around, I still don't know if I made it to the spa until I test and confirm. So testing and confirming is important. So that Dutch test is really, really valuable. Now, if all of this was really cool and you're like, man, I just love this stuff, right? My, I love, I mean, I love my podcast listeners and my, and my community and all of us are like mini geeks. I get it. You're like, I just, I could listen to cool scientific stuff all day, particularly when it applies to me. If this is cool to you and you're like, I really want to know more. I have a banished belly fat for women over 40 group on Facebook and it's, it's a pretty good group. And I go in there live every Friday and I give a little snippet of things. It's usually a little shorter than this where I give some information. We answer Q&A. So we, once a month we do live q and I have health coaches in there answering questions. And I also have a full mini course talking about these labs. And in that mini course 
there is a document I created that gives you all these optimal ranges. Like, what do I need to look at? So it's the ultimate sort of answer to this. So this freebie is awesome for you. And also in this community, you'll be able to hop on and ask questions. I mean, I'm not a fan of Facebook, I'll be honest, right? But the reality is most of us at some point are playing with social media. So that's where we go there. So you want to make sure you go in there, get active, communicate with us. If you're really curious and you're like, I just know that my hormones are messed up, you can reach out to my team. My coaches are in there every day. They work with my clients every day. They are part of my hormone reset group. They run the group. They they are just amazing. So the people that answer questions on there are are care providers. And but it's a great place to get more information and learn more. So I'll have that in the in the podcast notes also. So if you want to do that, because this way you'll have in your hot little hand some of the answers you're looking for. And then if you're struggling and you're looking for help, we can obviously help you because at the end of the day, my mandate is a million women across the United States get out of the tyranny of conventional care and are able to harness functional medicine so they can live the best next season. And that means you. So thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery today. I truly, truly like from the bottom of my heart, love my community and love that you listen to me. And I'm thankful every day. And I will be back with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at bettymurray.com. 